spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, happy Tuesday. Welcome to Region Review. Matt Miguez here. Plenty to talk about today. Obviously, we will begin with the breakdown of the Cajuns' win over Appalachian State on Friday night. Also, we will talk about men's basketball getting big wins this past week. We will talk about the BYU and Coastal game and the significance to the Sunbelt Conference of that. And Louisiana appears to be keeping their head coach for the time being. We will talk about all of that as well. Jerry Abair joins me as he always does. Jerry, good morning, man. Are you still good morning, sir? Are, are, are you still riding the high of finally getting the monkey off our back? Yeah, I'm riding the high of getting the monkey off of our back, but I'm also riding the high of the result of getting the monkey off of our back. Uh, ranking. Rankings, number 17 in the nation, both the AP and coaches poll, highest ranking in school history, um, best team in the state, and uh, best team in pretty the state much by far. By far. Like it's not and being, close. And being, the talk, and being the talk of the nation outside of uh, Coastal and, and, what, and what Iowa State has done, two teams that we're very familiar with this season. And um, it's nice to be the Cinderella of, uh, of college football this year. It's pretty cool. Yeah, um, you know, the, the, the two Cinderella's of college football both reside in the Sun Belt, and that's obviously, you know, Louisiana and Coastal Carolina. Um, you know, talking about the game with App State Friday night, obviously the Cajuns defeating the Mountaineers 24-21 to on a time-expiring missed field goal. And we'll get into that, you know, here in a little bit. But, you know, on paper, going into this game – this was probably the most confident Cajun fans had been for a game with App State. Do you agree? I think so. Um, going into the game, I, I felt really good because I, I knew the team was starting to click. Um, last week we had discussed that App State wasn't quite as crisp as we expect them to be year in and year out. Um, there were some games where they showed a lot of promise. They looked like a normal App State team looks like where they just dominate. And then there were other games where whether they dropped or lost those games or struggled to win, um, it kind of made me look at it in a way where they're definitely beatable and they don't have quite the horses in the stable that they usually have, which played right into our wheelhouse. Um, I thought athletically we had the chance to compete with them because of the system that they run and how we could counter that. I thought that would give us a, a legitimate chance of going up there and winning. I also said before the game, and we, we've always talked about this, that you know quarterback play was crucial where Levi Lewis had to play a level above what he's capable of to beat a school-like app and to get over that hump. And uh, he did just that Friday night. So it was a good win, a uh, great win for the team, very happy for the seniors who finally, you know, after so many tries, got to get this win. Um, it was nice to – do a little fan smack talk after the game on Twitter and social media. That was always fun. And, uh, but it's nice because um, the team is, is catching fire at a great time. 
Um, and you're going, you get a big win on the road like that in the rain on their senior night. You go to their house and win. Now you have two weeks to just relax, chill, enjoy, heal up, and get ready for what's going to be probably one of the biggest games in school history, if not the biggest game in school history on December 19th against a ranked Coastal Carolina team, which, by the way, um, I think we owe it to them after their after them giving us that one lone loss um, back in early October. Yeah, you know, I, I would venture to say that this is the biggest game in school history and also the biggest game in Sunbelt Conference history. Um, you know, never in my, in my wildest dreams did I expect to see a conference championship game between two not only two ranked teams, but two highly ranked teams. Because let's put it this way, Coastal Carolina was number 18 in the last playoff poll. They just defeated number 13. If I'm the committee, the lowest I am putting Coastal Carolina is 15. Why Why would you rank them any lower? Why? Why would you rank them any lower? That's a great point. You've got, I mean, even for a Sunbelt school, you have two wins. Well, first of all, you're undefeated. Then you beat an App State team that was in the top 25 to start the season. So they're, you know, they, they had a bunch of votes going into that matchup in Conway when they won by, I think it was by 11. They won, yeah, by nine, I think. Nine or 11, you beat, but yeah. You beat, a, you beat a Louisiana team who was ranked 21st and 3-0 and at the time. And then you beat a BYU team that, a lot of experts had them as an outside shot at a playoff spot. So you've got two wins against top 25 competition, including a win against the team that was ranked earlier in the season with top 25 votes. Oh, Jerry, hate to interrupt you. Breaking news. You know, later we'll talk about the Cajuns' possibility at a New Year's Six game, but Saturday's matchup between Cincinnati and Tulsa has been canceled. Wow. Teams will still meet December 19th in the AAC title game, but that is monumental news in terms of the Cajuns having an outside shot at a New Year's Six. You got to be kidding me. I have a tweet, have right, I have a tweet right here. Saturday's Cincinnati-Tulsa game has been canceled because of the COVID-19 situation at Cincinnati. Expect Cincinnati to host next week's AAC title game against Tulsa. As a result, Tulsa would have hosted the game with a win this coming Saturday. We didn't need that. And I understand. I understand the, the circumstances well, this year. It, it's, it is. But you, you, want, you want them to play at least once or twice because well, here's you, the, want, it, it, you give two chances for Tulsa to win. Well, uh, I, I agree, but here's here's the thing. Best case scenario for us would have been if Tulsa won twice. We know yeah. we know how incredibly difficult it is to beat a team twice. So, in my opinion, I think this loss plays into our hands a little bit. I think them not. I, don't know. I, I think them not playing this Saturday actually might benefit us a little bit. I don't know, man. 
because, you know, the, the committee has been known to make some questionable decisions. So if Cincinnati doesn't play this week, you have to think that they're going to fall. Maybe not a lot, but you have to think that they're going to fall. I don't know. I, I would have preferred the game to be played. Um, the only thing that would worry the only thing that would worry me is if Cincinnati absolutely skull drug them, and then they rise up to be borderline of a playoff spot. Yeah, I, I just don't know if that. I mean, I, I wish they could have gotten that game in this week. And again, it's 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 based on circumstances with COVID and everything like that. That's obviously a forefront of concern, but I still would have liked that game to get in because, again, you have two chances. Tulsa has two chances to beat them. Now they only have one, and the game's going to be played in Cincinnati. Yeah, and, but they, have, all know they have a whole extra week to prepare. Right. Cincinnati does not because they've got the COVID issue. Right. I still would have liked that game to be played for our sake. Um, again, it, it, it gives Tulsa an extra chance. It gives Tulsa an extra shot to beat them. Or gave Tulsa an extra shot to beat him. Yeah, I mean that, um, it'll it'll be interesting for sure. Yeah, darn, <laughs> darn. Um, well, it's one of those years. It's one of those years. Yeah, no, it totally is. Let's get back to the Cajuns and Mountaineers. I'm looking at the box score here. You know, we'll 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 give you a couple of. Tidbits of information, Levi Lewis, 8 of 23 for 101 yards and a touchdown. Had a quarterback rating of 77.7. He also added 77 yards on the ground on 11 carries. Leading rusher for the Cajuns was Elijah Mitchell, 12 carries for 95 yards. Uh, Impact stat line, in my opinion, had to be Trey Regis, 12 carries, 43 yards. Doesn't sound like a whole lot, but he did manage to get two touchdowns on the game for Louisiana. And then leading receiver was Jalen Williams, two catches with 39 yards. Defensively, leading tackler, of course, Farad Gardner with 10, including half a sack. Chauncey. You know, it seems like, it seems like he could, I mean, he, he's been lighting it up since the beginning of the year, but, I mean, you can always depend on him to, be a ball hawk in every game, in and out. How about uh, how about Zion Hill having five tackles, including a sack, and then recovering two fumbles? Yeah, yeah. Defense defense definitely did their homework last week and and, and played lights out. Um, defense just did a fantastic job against the run. They contained Zach Thomas pretty much most of the game. Um, you know, Apple only really had one or two decent drives all game. They really couldn't do too much. I mean, the defense held Apple's offense to zero total yards in the third quarter. Um, that doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. And no, again, doesn't. I think, I think they countered, I think the Cajuns were able to counter, um, Apple's, uh, system. And they countered the app system, number one, with good coaching, but number two, they just, I thought, I thought on paper, and I even noticed it in the game on the field, that the Cajuns were just, they were just more talented, man. They just had the better team. Um, You know, they just had the better team. I think the score was closer than the game indicated. 
Yeah, no, no, no question about it. We de- we'll and we'll dive into why that was in a second. Chauncey Manack also six tackles, one sack, and an interception for the Cajuns. Zach Thomas for App State was ten of twenty one for ninety two yards. He had two interceptions on the ball game. Cameron Peoples was their leading rusher, twenty one carries, ninety nine yards, and a touchdown. Freshman Nate Noel also added seventy two yards on twelve carries. Leading receiver was Thomas Hennigan, four catches for 44 yards. And, and, you know, the one stat that really, really sticks out to me here is Zach Thomas's rushing line. Eight carries for one yard. That was your difference maker right there. After That was your difference maker right there. After sacks take away some of his rushing yards, he, he was left with one rushing yard. That's your takeaway. That that's your that's your difference maker right there. When you contain Zach Thomas and you don't let him run, their offense becomes a lot more vanilla and a lot more one dimensional than it would be if he were able to run. And you saw it. You saw it with the Louisiana offense with 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 Levi. When Levi runs and he's able to run, look at the difference it makes in effectiveness or offensive effectiveness, how much it spreads steam wide open. Yeah. Um He's done it over the past three or four games where he's been able to run the ball a lot more, which includes his passing game, which includes our rushing attack that we already have. And you see a difference in, in you see a pep in a step of this offense and what it's been able to do since he's been able to run. Um, and the same thing could be said for, for app. When you, when you contain Zach Thomas, it's, it's night and day. And, and we saw it the other night. Um, you know, when they were able to contain him, when they got a few big sacks on him, when they put pressure on him. I mean, look, he threw two interceptions the other night, which is very, very uncommon for him. Um, it goes to show you how much of a difference that makes when, when you're able to contain a, a, a playmaker like Zach Thomas. And, you know, props to the Cajuns' offensive line. Levi Lewis was never once sacked in that ballgame. And props to Levi Lewis. For eluding those sacks, when he would get blitzed, he'd get pressured a few times. He was able to get out of it, you know, whether he whether he got some yardage or was able to get rid of the ball in time, or um, you know, he he actually did a great job eluding. He's always since he's been the starting quarterback. One thing that he's been consistently good with is eluding pressure. Um, outside of that one sack he took against uh, Georgia. Georgia State. Yeah, he's been really, really effective in being able to either get rid of the ball or turn a blitz into something impressive. Um, and you know, talking about Levi, I'm looking at his season stats. And you know, one thing that I hear most criticized about QB one is his inability to throw the football. You know he's number yeah. 20 in the country in passing yards? Yeah, well, he's... Um, Tied for 22nd in passing touchdowns? Wow. He's 47th in QBR? Not too bad. I mean... Top third. He, he's he's definitely... The top... Well, he's, yeah. He's, his quarterback rating against AP top 25 programs is 
Yeah. I think I think there's times where his, his biggest flaw sometimes is his accuracy. Um, there's been a few times he's overthrown open receivers. Uh, sometimes he's missed easy throws. And there's other times where he's made throws 15, 20 yards down the field that look perfect. Um, well, yeah, I mean, his, his completion percentage is definitely taking a hit. I mean, this is the lowest completion percentage he's had since his four games in 2017. I mean, even before um, Friday night, there were some instances where he would miss some easy throws, and you're just like, dude, you got to make that. Yeah. Like, that's easy. His, <laughs> his, his completion percentage, he's sitting at 60% so far for the year. Which is okay. I mean, that's pretty good. Um, Last year was the highest of his career, 64.3. That's pretty good. Um, I'd like to see what his completion percentage is beyond 15 yards. That's where I'd like to see it. Not to say that I expect him to go long, but, you know, he's really, really good fifteen within 15 yards. Uh, when he goes to the sideline, he's good when he throws on the scramble. I've always said that. I want to see those stat lines anything beyond 15 yards because there's some of those throws he's missed a few of them, but then there's some that he's, he's completed. Um, I think we all know, and really this is most scrambling quarterbacks. Most scrambling quarterbacks don't really have the most accurate arm beyond 15, 20 yards. Um, a lot of them are really good with the short pass. And I, and we see that with Levi, anything within 15 yards, he's pretty much money. Um, I would like to see the stats that would be anything beyond 15 to 20 yards. That, that would be my biggest thing. Well, let, let's, look, let's look at it. I've got it right here. This, okay. this, is a, this is an interesting conversation. On third and 11 plus, Levi is 63.6%. That's on, not bad. On second and 11 plus, he is 66.7%. On second and anywhere from eight to ten, he is also sixty-six point seven percent. Now, are some of those passing plays like dump-off passes? Are they little out routes where the receiver gets extra yardage? Are they passes where Levi is able to elude blitzes and, and find an open receiver because the play broke down? Um, granted, granted. To me, I think it's more along the lines of get a first down any way you can. I think what's the biggest criticism most people have is when he does throw a pass beyond 15 or 20 yards, sometimes they're not the most accurate. He misses a few open spots. I mean, anybody could see that. Well, but I think where it really matters, where it really matters is get the first down. Right. No matter how you do it. Right. You know, that's, that's what's most important. And I mean, don't get me wrong, I get just as frustrated when he misses wide open balls as, as anybody else. I mean, he had Dante Fleming down the seam for a 70-something yard touchdown pass the other night. Underthrew him, yeah. He, he overthrew him by five yards. Yeah, he underthrew him. No, he overthrew him. It sailed over You're talking Fleming's, about it's it sailed over Fleming's head. Oh, okay, never mind. I'm thinking yeah, about the one against the I'm talking Rodgers. about the deep bomb. Yeah. He, he, yeah, but you see, he's that's always been sort of the case on the deep ball with Levi. He's never really, I mean, he's been accurate once or twice. He hasn't really, any like that's, and I think that's the big thing with him is, and that's my biggest criticism. Anything beyond twenty, it's a hit or miss. Right. 
Um, he, was, he was super accurate against Iowa State, though. Well, I mean, the one that Peter LeBlanc was, I mean, but that was the best deep ball he's thrown since he's been a Cajun. Um, and even the pass to Errol Rogers in the first quarter, I believe, or no, second quarter the other night, where he underthrew him in the yeah. rain, and that was a touchdown, too. And that was about, that was probably about a 15, 20 yard pass. And, and Errol had to slip because he had to come back. And little things like that, that's where I think the frustration rolls in. Um, but, you know, he's not, you don't need, our, this offense is not built on long bombs. This offense is built on little six, seven yard plays, a six, seven yard, uh, per, six or seven yards per play. Um, March down the field, burn clock, wear the defense out, break a long run, or break a break a decent pass play. Um, this offense isn't – you don't need big plays to make this offense effective. I actually enjoy watching our offense march down the field. Um, you know, get five or six yards of carry. Um, usually the, the, the offensive drive stops or it – it scores whenever an Elijah Mitchell breaks a long run or Trey Regis breaks a long run or you run like a slant to one of the receivers who breaks a long run. That's what I enjoy. I like watching that because it's so crisp. It's just, it's so fun to watch, you know, especially when it's effective. Yeah, no, there, there's no question about it. Cajuns defeat App State 24 to 21. Cajuns improved to 9-1 and one on the year, 7-1 and one in the Sunbelt Conference. App State falls to seven and three overall, five and two in the Sun Belt. You know, we'll take a break right here, and when we come back, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the App State game. Um, talk about some of the the play calls that we either agreed or disagreed with, and we will also talk about the BYU game, the BYU Coastal game, and how significant that was to the Sunbelt Conference. Stay right here. We'll be back on Rage and Review. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ranger and Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app 
today. Welcome back to Region Review. Matt Miguez here. Jerry Abair joins us as well. And Jerry, you know, we talked about in the first segment, we talked about the App State Louisiana game. I want to get into a little bit deeper conversation about that, especially from a play calling perspective. Um, there were definitely a couple of questionable moments Friday night for sure. But the biggest one that everybody's even still talking about four days later is the intentional safety that, <laughs> that the Cajuns took with about 140 left in the ball game. Now, you know, I, I want to start by saying I don't disagree with the call. I thought in in theory it was the right decision. But here's 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 my point. You you run that play, I think the ball was snapped with a minute 50. It's third and two. App State has one timeout left. Well, I'll, I'll take that back because the safety was on. The safety was on fourth down. But on the third and two play beforehand, when we threw the ball and Levi eventually threw it away, why wouldn't you run the ball there? Because one of one of two things is going to happen. Either one, you get the first down. Or, or second, say say App State stuffs you. Say you get nothing or you maybe get a yard. You're forcing App State to either call that last time out or you're going to run 40 seconds off the clock. And then, you know, if it's fourth down, either they lose the timeout or you run 40 seconds off the clock, then you do the intentional safety. Well. Right? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, am, is, am I am I crazy? No, I I mean, you know, when I when I was watching the game, I was kind of, I just felt like we would have gotten the first down if we would have just run the ball on the on, on both plays. I, I mean, I would have just taken the chance to even go for it the next time around on fourth down because if you remember, on I mean, look, the two we had run two plays previously before that, uh, that, that, that call and uh, two plays for a total of eight yards. Um, whether it was Regis or Mitchell, we were getting three or four yards of carry, uh, between both running backs. And then you include Chris Smith in there. Same thing. I mean, the way, the way the offensive look, the offensive line, like you said, played such a great game, both rushing the ball and passing. There's no way in my honest opinion and I'm not saying this as a homer or a biased Cajuns, Cajuns fan. There's no, way but the we way we, there's no way we weren't getting two yards. Well, there's no way we weren't getting two yards running it twice. Even if we, like, I just feel like the way we were running the ball, whether it's Regis or Mitchell, I think even if they put eight men in the box, unless there was a massive loss of yardage, I just don't see... I don't see how they we wouldn't have gotten the first down on third or fourth down. 
I mean, it's a net total of two yards. You, you got two plays. You get a net total of two yards. I just don't see how our running backs or our offense would have failed to do that. Right. Um, when, 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 when I saw Levi play, use that play action and roll out, I'm just, I just threw my hands up because, first of all, you just knew he wasn't going to convert. You also knew he, as, as he's rolling out, you can tell, by the way, his mannerisms were he was about to throw the ball out of bounds. I'm like, you, I'm just, I'm, it, it just, you know, look, and we'll talk about this as, as the show goes on, but I'm just as ecstatic as anyone else that we're keeping, we're keeping Billy Napier here at Louisiana. But man, sometimes he, sometimes he and the coaching staff, man, they try to outsmart themselves. And this was one of those times. Yeah, no, for, um, for sure. I wouldn't have also, as far as the safety goes, I understand why. I guess I can understand it. Um, but I, I still, it's still, it's still odd how that all or, broke down. Or, you know, here, here's another idea. Why wouldn't Levi just pooch it? I mean, I would see with the way he was lining up. That's what I thought he was doing. The way they lined up in the yeah, shotgun. Why, why, why wouldn't, why wouldn't, back. Why wouldn't you just kick it as deep as it went, as deep as it could go, and let your defense, who had played well all night long, finish the job? Well, if you pooch it, if he gets about 30 yards on the punt, let's say it bounces, because you know, I don't think anybody was back there, okay? You punt it, you give them the ball at around, I don't know, the they, 40, they probably get into their own 25-yard line after, after it rolls. Depending on the role, I'd, I'd be generous. I'll say that they're on 35, okay? okay? With no timeouts left. Think about it this way. You run the ball. You don't get the first down. You decide to punt it. They call a timeout on third down. Or no, they call a timeout on fourth down. You pooch it to them. You give them the ball on their own 35. They still took over, I believe, after we punted to them after the safety. They took over they around the same They had a minute and a half left. With a minute and a half left in the timeout, well, if you would have done it the other way, they wouldn't have been able to kick a field goal. They, they would have, have had to go to the end zone. They, they have, have 50, no timeouts they, left. They have 50 seconds with no timeouts, and they have to score a touchdown to win the game. And they have to score a touchdown. Yeah, right. I, I just that, – that, those are some calls where I just sit there and I'm like, what? And I think the rest of the Cajun Nation is just like, why – why do that? And not just because of the chance. And I'm going to be selfish when I say this. Not just because of taking that chance of losing the game, but also you raised my blood pressure. Right. You brought back CDS. I mean, I, I, I still had CDS. I, look, my therapy was when we did the recap episode because for some reason, even through the recap episode, I still, in my mind, the game was still on and we were going to still find a way to lose even after winning the game. So that's, that's how look the CDS is strong in Cajun Nation, man. That's CDS in a nutshell. You so, know, so so still find a way to lose even after a win. So so to wrap up this conversation, if there are any UL Monroe fans listening, um, you're you're in need of a head coach. Matt Miguez and Jerry Abair together could probably do the job. You know, um, well, first of all, look before we talk about that, I do want to say. To our, our friend, Mr. Paul Boudreaux. Look, everybody has a bad game. Keep your head up. We got your back. Yes, sometimes we kind of question why you, you miss some snaps. But look, 
You're not perfect. You're not a saint. You're human. Keep your head up. Stay focused. Keep grinding. We, we got your back. Um, you know, we're going to need you for, for that championship game. So don't give up. Don't quit. And uh, just keep grinding, my friend. Keep grinding. And um, anytime you put on a Cajun's uniform, doesn't matter if you have a good game, a bad game, a horrible game, a great game. You're still part of the. You're still part of the culture. So, want to give my my words of best wishes to Paul and tell him to keep fighting and and be ready for that coastal game because we're going to need him. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Let's recap what else happened in the Sun Belt over the weekend. Troy hammers South Alabama twenty nine to nothing. Uh, Gunnar Watson throws for nearly three hundred yards and three touchdowns to lead the Trojans. Arkansas State went ballistic on UL Monroe in the passing game. Lane Hatcher, get ready for this, 11 of 14 for 326 yards and five touchdown passes. Yeah, well, I mean. And then, wait, it, it gets even better. His leading receiver, freshman Corey Rucker, Nine catches, 310 yards, and four touchdowns. Wow. Freshman Jeez. receiver. Yeah, that's um, that's impressive, but also, I mean, it's, you played against a team that has, has, has well, one foot in the grave. Well, um, yeah, but, I, I mean, still. You know. and, then, yeah. and then Georgia Southern finishing the job at home over Florida Atlantic by the final score of 20-3. to They prepare for their game next week with App State. But, you know, and, and as, as big as our win against App State was Friday night, the biggest game of the Sun Belt was Saturday afternoon when number 18 Coastal Carolina defeated number 13 BYU 22-17. to This was a this was a battle of unbeatens going into this game. And to make it even better, this was a game that was put together 72 hours before it was played. <laughs> you know, I, oh, I, read, I read an article that The Athletic wrote, and it was, it was about the BYU equipment guys. And, you know, how, how hectic it was. Because, you know, there were some rumblings as early as Tuesday that Liberty wasn't going to be able to play and that BYU could be a replacement, blah, blah, blah. And so the conversations with Coastal and BYU obviously started in the background, just in case, right? Mm -hmm. So at one point, BYU loads the equipment truck and they got two guys, they have two drivers that are driving the truck. And when they go to get their marching orders, their boss told them, hey, load the truck up, start driving towards the Carolinas. Hopefully there's a football game when you get there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, just, 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 just start heading that way, and we'll call you when we hear something. Could you imagine if they're like an hour outside of Conway, and they're like, oh, by the way, the game got canceled. Sorry, a turn 40, around and come back. A 40-hour 2200 mile trip. Yeah. That's 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 unreal. Um 
And and I mean, really, you're you're driving blind because they they told you, hey, just go, and we might call you and tell you to just turn around and come back, no matter where you are. But hopefully, there's a football game when you get there. Well, they got the game in, and the the hype didn't disappoint us. Um, oh God, what a game! All that the was way, the all the way through. That was a war. Um, I, I I was at a I I, was, I had some obligations previous engagement that I, I had to go to that I, I couldn't see most of the game, but I was able to catch like the last two minutes, and I saw the last play, and it was oh my gosh. Um, I mean that that just if, if you want to talk about a game to end in dramatic fashion the way that it did, I, I was just I, I was I was so happy, um, and and. Such a big win for the conference. Such a big win for Coastal. Look, I, you know, I, I said it last week, and I'll say it again. I mean, they're they're going to be our enemy next week. They're our foes. But I, I can't. I, I just, you know, Coastal. You saw like one thing I love about Coastal. They're very blue collar. Um, even even the 2016 baseball team that won the national title for them. Very blue collar. Bunch of grinders. Um, I see that with this football team, and I see a lot of similarities between our team and theirs. Their culture is very similar. Take on anybody, any place, at any time, and I love that about them. But um, I just, I, I just can't be any happier for for the notoriety that this has brought. Because when they get better, we get better. When they get ranked and we get ranked, it helps the conference. And so, um, huge win. For Coastal, congratulations to the Chanticleers. I know they got a, a game against Troy this week, and they have their massive showdown against us. But, man, what a win. And what a win for the conference. I mean, the notoriety to get college game day to go there and to come out and win, I mean, that's just – that's unreal. Unreal. Hey, uh, Jerry, you want to get a second opinion on this? Yeah. Do, 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 you wanna, do we want to let Man About Town join us? I don't know. Does he have a? Do we have a password or something? Or I mean, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Should, should we? Should, like should we? Get, I, I, I let him in. About town, has to say. All right, Cajun Nation. We we had to do it. We we let Man About Town join the join the conversation. I mean, he was he was blowing up the phone, begging to to get in on this. So, Man About Town, what's going on, man? Fellows, good morning. Uh, this conversation cannot be complete without uh you know the hot take of hot take Hell yeah. how fun how how fun was it to watch the national media the national sports media do what they do and trash the Sun Belt and trash the g5 and hype up byu and byu's for real and byu is nfl laden and blah 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 zach wilson blah 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 and then coastal just invites them in on onto the teal turf and whoops their ass oh it was so great yeah, I mean, it was it, it was you know the the Mormons versus mullets T shirts and they did you know, it. They did just, that so well. It, it was well done for sure. Um, you know, it, when you have a key a marquee game like that that has the national attention is able to capture uh, the minds of football fans. I mean, for me, it was the game last week, and it there's a certain amount of hype that your program has to be able to manage and promote properly to really get that full experience. And I thought Coastal did a great job. Their media people did a great job. Their fans did a great job. I, I, 
the mullet and Mormon t-shirt was epic all time. You know, reminiscent of the Catholic versus convict, uh, convict shirt. I just thought it was perfect. Uh, you know, they did such a fantastic job that whole week having game day there, that whole environment. I mean, that's what, can you imagine the Sun Belt, a program in the Sun Belt, having that kind of national attention and doing it so properly, you know, regardless of, of if our Sun Belt officials showed up to promote the brand and promote the league. But uh, that's a whole other conversation. But I thought Coastal did a spectacular job. Yeah, what, what, a, what, a, what a shit show out of the out of the New Orleans office. I mean. Yeah, par for the course, man. Par for the course. I mean, look, that's the history of this league. That's why we've all, we've trashed the Sun Belt ourselves for years and years because of lack of leadership, lack of any kind of forward thinking. And here we are again with an absentee um, commissioner. It's the same song and dance. Well, and it's not, and it's not only the same song and dance. It's even worse this time around because you've got two teams that are really being talked about on the national stage um, constantly. I mean, you've got Coastal that's undefeated. They're about to break the top ten. You've got Louisiana right now. That, I mean, look, I watched the Iowa State West Virginia game, and I can't tell you the number of times. You know, everybody kept saying, well, Iowa State's come a long way since that loss to Louisiana, that loss to Louisiana, that loss to Louisiana. And they repeated themselves so many times. And, and it was a compliment to us because they would also say, man, what they got down, boiling down in Louisiana with, with Billy Napier and what they, what the Cajuns are doing right now. I mean, we're getting so much notoriety, not just us, but, but, but Coastal as well. I mean, a college game day went to Conway and we've got, we had, the conference had so much going for it, even even at State, who has, I mean, in their book, a down year. I mean, they're still 7-3. and three. They were ranked earlier in the season. They had a 2.30 CBS game against Marshall earlier in the year. We've got so much notoriety this year, and two teams right now have an outside chance of making a New Year's 6. Where's where's the marketing? Where's the promos? Where's where's you wanna, where's the push? You wanna know where's the push right now? You want to know what's, re- what's really – you know, probably the worst thing that I saw this weekend. So we beat App Friday night. And, you know, like you said, we the Cajuns have gotten so much notoriety throughout the year. But Saturday morning on college game day, they're sitting there talking about – they're actually talking about Coastal Carolina. And over to the right of the screen, they're showing the top 25 rankings. And if you look down at number 20, where we were supposed to be, it says the Lafayette Leopards. Uh, what do you say? I mean, I have all, in what? my mind, it's settled. In my mind, it's settled. And, you know, this is my own opinion, one man's opinion. But if you look throughout the LSU, I'm sorry, the ESPN roster, of commentators, play-by-play, uh, even some of their suits. There's a lot of Baton Rouge flavor up in Bristol. And there is, in my mind now, I'm not blaming anybody for anything, I'm saying in my mind, there is, it's not an accident. They do it on purpose. And I think that it's some sort of an, a bias, and it's driven by people that are from Baton Rouge. That's my opinion. People might disagree. But you can't tell me with that amount of people from Baton Rouge and LSU ties, you can't tell me that there's not some conversation being had behind in production meetings. Hey, let's give them a little jab. They're getting the, they're, that's the best season they've ever had. Best team in, in, in Louisiana. 
best team, maybe one of the top G5 teams in the country. They can't stand it. You know that they're that Teddy. I mean, you guys know that. So I'm not saying it's a 100% certainty, but they've got to have something to do with it. Just It just it happens way too often, man. On Saturday when you're supposed to have your A game for college game day? No. Sorry. You know, and, you know, Josh, you know, th- this might this might be a, t- a tad bit off topic, but Jerry and I brought it up earlier in the show, and I want to get your opinion on it. Cincinnati and Tulsa has been canceled for this Saturday. Oh, what? Does that help or hurt the Cajuns? It hurts us, no doubt. You see, I, so I, I disagree. I think I think it helps because uh, well, I'll tell you why I think it hurts. Two two games, you have two opportunities, you have two shots at a team. It's very difficult to beat a, an average team twice. It's almost impossible that he beat a good team twice, especially in a consecutive week. Uh, especially a team that's, I mean, look, twenty fourth, they're ranked twenty fourth in the country. But that's so, why that's why I think it helps us because now there's only one. If Tulsa can beat them one time, there's no there's no split. Tulsa's one and zero against them. Yeah, I still think even with a split, I still think it hurts Cincinnati enough to to catapult us ahead um, with a win over Coastal. Because here's my reasoning: if Iowa State continues to win, and I can tell you they look very good, oh, I think they're, they're going to win, win the Big Twelve title. I think they're going to win the Big Twelve. That is going to be a top six team. And then you have, if Coastal is able to beat Troy, now listen, we need to talk about that because that is the definition of a track game. You got to travel down to Alabama. Oh, man, I'm worried about that. But either way, Coastal, you know, we assume Coastal moves up a spot with a win and maybe some some upheaval in front of them. You're going to tell me that they're going to keep a Louisiana out who's avenged their only loss by a last-second field goal? and has two top 10 wins, a top six and a top 10 win, if that's not strength of schedule, I don't know what is. Then went on the road to beat an app state who's going to end up eight and three. I I just don't see it, man. If you look at strength of schedule and you add in the two top 10 wins, no committee is going to, I mean, look, and they may do it. They they are who they are. But from from a common sense standpoint, you can't keep a team with two top 10 wins out of the New New, New Year's six. If it's close, you know, say it's Cincinnati at 13 and Louisiana at 12 or 14, somewhere in there. I just don't see it. Cincinnati has a couple of nice wins, but they don't have a top 10 win. We would have two. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's perception too, uh, Josh. And that, that scares me a little bit because, you know, a win over a three or four loss central Florida team is it's when sometimes these, these, these people, pick based off of perception and window dressing. Um, I think on paper, you if, if the Cajuns go avenge their one loss of the year by a last-second field goal to a Coastal team that has become the Cinderella of college football, and you have a, a win over a team that wins the Big 12, common sense tells you, you you most likely have to pick that team. Um, but I still think the AAC has a little sense of of, of bias, or I, sh- I should say, I think people have a little sense of bias towards the AAC because of the branding and the names. Another thing to add, and we just talked about this, Mike Oresco is, from what I understand, has been really pushing and marketing Cincinnati and the AAC for New Year's Six. He's been doing well, that. Yeah. He's always done it. He does it we, every single year. We need the leadership 
of our conference to be pushing for this like crazy right now instead of instead of the typical because look last year the same thing happened with that state top 25 teams they had the belt bowl that was what an hour and a half away down in charlotte right. against right. an sec opponent perfect fit for our state and what does the commissioner say well we got to honor the contract man <laughs> you know, and the contract you know, who can make some money here you want your conference to make it you're not going to make it with a top 15 team going to play in Montgomery. You're not. You're not going to make it with a top 15 team going to Mobile, um, you know, against some random Mac school. It's not going to happen. If you really where, want where to. Where 200 of your fans are going to travel. Yeah. I mean, you know, contract and no contract, I would still be lobbying for my team to make it. I mean, look, what looks better, the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery or the Orange Bowl in Miami? So, no kidding. I mean, the, the contract and no contract, I mean, you find a, find a way out of it. Do something. I, I just put some effort. That's all. Just put and Derek, some effort, man. Do you, know how, big, do you know how big of a shot in the arm it would be for the Sun Belt to make a New Year's six in COVID, in the COVID-riddled year? We oh. need that money, like I mean, God, we need that so badly. That would that would not only save our league, it would it would catapult our league. We need it. Uh, there is no reasoning behind Gill not doing anything, and it's not just Gill; it's his entire administration. Like, wh- who is you? Can't we can't even get the Twitter handle right? They're wrong about something every week, as Jay Bird Walker points out every single week. I mean, look, Gill is an empty suit. We thought that. Two years ago, when he started his job, his duties, uh, I, I have no explanation. I don't know what the hell he's doing. You can't say that he's new and that he's learning on the job anymore. Did Did you no. guys Did you guys know that there's a Sun Belt representative on the College Football Playoff Selection Committee? Mohar, what's his name? Yeah, Mo, Mo, Mojo. Yeah, the AD, the AD at Arkansas State. Yeah, well, look, if I guarantee you, if Arkansas State was in the mix, he'd be pounding the table. Now look, I like Terry Mahajer. I think he's a I think he's a fighter. I like his style of, of the way he does business. But you know, you gotta keep in mind that the <laughs> Louisiana and Arkansas State don't have the, the best relationship. So I don't expect him to go pound the table for us, but at the same time, we got Coastal in the mix. He has no beef with Coastal. I mean this somebody's got to say something. But just also remember too, regardless of if they're rivals or not, this it goes beyond league wide. It helps them. I was about to it, say, it I, I think he, I think he would pound the table for the fact that it will benefit them in the end. Well, yeah. look, you would think, right? Same thing last year. Same thing last year with App State. We don't like App State too much, but you know what? We were on Twitter. We were on social media, doing everything we could as fans to try to help them getting to the belt bowl. Why? Because when App State goes to the belt bowl, it makes us look good. It makes us look better. It makes so, our, it makes our league money. Yeah, I mean that, that's the end all be all. Yeah, so I don't I don't understand. Like th- this is the one time I don't see even if even if Arkansas State is considered a rival, I just don't see any reason to hold a grudge, especially when you know it, it indirectly benefits them. Um, I mean, any school, any school that has a chance to compete at that type of level with a bigger bowl with a bigger payout benefits everyone. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it is it's nonsensical. There is no explanation. There is no yeah, but. They're absent. They're not doing their jobs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they're, 
there, there's definitely a bunch of issues in New Orleans. And look, I want to say this. I want to say this also before we leave the BYU coastal thing. Man, credit to BYU. You know, I, I know that they probably thought, you know, we'll turn down Washington because Washington will probably beat us, but we'll go down to Coastal and play them and we'll get us a nice top 25 win. You know, that's probably what the thinking was. And Coastal stood up and, and they, I mean, look, they played well and they, they beat a good, solid team. But I like a team and an administration and a coaching staff that says, hey, we want to play. We don't care who it is. Let's go play. And they did that and they made it work. It sounds like it was like a four-day process. Yeah, it was. So you, you got to give credit to those guys. A lot of people would have stayed home. And maybe yep. in the future they will stay home for some belt opponents, but uh, still credit has I mean, to be we, we, has we to talk, be given to them. We, we talked we were talking about it before you jumped on Josh, and we were talking about you know the equipment truck, and the two equipment drivers were told start driving towards the Carolinas, and hopefully there's a game when you get there. That's awesome, man! How many P fives would do that? Not many. Not many. Zero. I would say zero. You know, let, let's okay. transition now from the BYU Coastal game and the significance of that to the Sunbelt Conference to some coaching changes in the Sunbelt, particularly South Alabama and UL Monroe, both firing their head coaches, Steve Campbell and Matt Viatar, respectively. However, there is a little bit of speculation on the Matt Viatar situation. Because I have seen some people say that it was more of a resignation than a termination. Yeah, yeah. actually, uh, probably about a week and a half ago, I saw some rumblings about how Matt Vitar was thinking about hanging it up because he has no support, he has no money, he has no resources. His recruiting base is very small because they don't have the money to get out of town. Uh, and, and he had been frustrated and he, he'd had enough. I mean, he had players quitting on him throughout the year because they basically saw the same thing. There's, what are we doing here? Right. Nobody's committed. This administration's not committed. So when they fired him, I thought maybe it was a vindictive move, of you know, from their AD. But you know, it seems like it was definitely contentious. I can tell you that. And I've, I've read, the sad I've, thing about that is the, the sad thing about that is that Matt Vietar is a good football coach. I don't care what anybody says. He is that guy. He can coach and. He was not supported by his administration and the guys who hired him. Uh, now, I know that they've changed AD since he was hired, so maybe this guy wants his own guy, but I'm just telling you guys, they're going to struggle to find somebody, even to the level of a Matt Vietar, and I guarantee you they're not going to find anybody better. Chances are they're going to find somebody worse, which would be just detrimental, but it goes across all sports, man. What, what did they win one game in all fall sports to this point yeah. in the year? I mean, yeah. that is yeah. atrocious. Well, I think, look, the reality is, and it all, and like you said about the conference uh, with Goldberg, um, Josh, it, it all comes down to money. And I, you know, I decided after they fired uh, Matt Vietal yesterday, I went and did some research because, you know, on the message boards, people are talking about the scenario and the situation that ULM and people kept saying, well, they don't have, they don't have money. They have a $15 million budget. So I decided to dig a little deeper and I went uh, research uh, budgets in the Southland Conference. As of 2018 and 2019, 2018-2019 uh, budget that came out on USA Today, and they didn't include Abilene Christian in there either. Um, with it, with Abilene Christian included, ULM, now granted, the highest budget for the 2018-2019 fiscal year 
was around $19, 20000000 I believe it was Sam Houston State. ULM has a lower budget than three schools, including Abilene Christian. So that's four schools, I believe, in the Southland Conference that has a bigger budget than ULM. UL, on the other hand, uh, had a 33, I think it was 33 or $34 million budget, which was 14 to $15 million more than the highest budget in the Southland Conference. So just for comparison, um, you know, I mean, you have, you're in the Sun Belt with a $15 million budget, and there's four schools in the Southland that have a bigger budget than you, and your so-called rival or foe in UL has two, two and a half times the amount of money that you do. How do you expect to compete at that level? How do you expect to pay a decent coach to come in there and, and, and create resources to succeed? You, you're already one foot in the grave if you take a job there. And, and I just, I, I think the problem is, is that with, with ULM, here's, here's the issue they're facing right now, especially in the Sun Belt, especially in football. You have schools like Georgia Southern, App State, Coastal Carolina coming in. They're outgrowing you, and they're succeeding. So what's happening? And then on top of that, you see the Cajuns succeeding and growing their budget and building facilities and trying to renovate the stadium. You got South Al that just built their new stadium. You know, App has some nice facilities. I know Georgia Southern just did a stadium renovation. So what's, what's, and, and what's, so what's happening? you're seeing the gap widen because all these schools, especially the ones that are coming from FCS are passing them right by. And there's nothing ULM can do to compete with that. What did they do? They built a $4 million, uh, you know, locker room addition to their football stadium. That's pretty much outdated. And that's, that's the extent of what they can do. And when, when that's all you can do compared to the up and coming, you know, stepping stones from FCS that are, just dominating you in finances and success, how, how can you compete with that? How can you play catch up with that? It's a, it's a good point. And I saw somebody make a point. Actually, I think it was Brando that said this. He said, you know, th- there are two options. There are make the commitment, find the money, commit to athletics, and, and let's do this thing, or get out altogether. He said because the financial hit and the financial devastation that would come with dropping the FCS is, he, he said, basically said the, the finance, the uh, operating costs are not all that dissimilar. He basically said that you either have to commit or get out. And I agree with that 100%. Now, we got the news yesterday that there's a rumor that the WAC wants to expand into the Southland and create this kind of really strange West Western United States conference which I still can't really understand why you'd have Sam Houston State fly to Seattle. doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But either way, it, it, it dovetails into your point about how they're, the, the upper echelon of the Southland and the FCS schools are trying their absolute best at rapping on the door. Hey, let us in the D1. And the WAC is basically giving them that opportunity. So – you kind of see how the pool is starting to widen. And Monroe just is, they continue to fall by the wayside, and it all comes down to commitment. There, there is no commitment. There is no support. There is no interest in their athletics. And I think that that's just a pill they're just going to have to swallow. Or, you know, I mean, maybe they go the way of the whack. Maybe they compete with 
some of these SDS schools that are on their level. Um, I don't know what kind of affiliation uh, monetarily you get with, with the WAC, the, this new WAC, uh, but but maybe they look WAC. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you right now, the Sun Belt, and I can't believe I'm saying this. I cannot believe I'm saying this. Five years ago, I, you know, I would have laughed at a person who said this, but the Sun Belt is improving at a dramatic pace. Our revenue is going through the roof. Our bowl tie-in money is going through the roof. TV ratings are going through the roof. And this is before 2020, okay? ULM is being left behind, and I don't even, I think the trainer has already left the station for ULM. They, they needed to commit five years ago, three years ago. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see where they, they make up all this, this ground because the Sun Belt is becoming a viable conference. Hell, it is, it is a viable conference in 2020, especially in football. I mean, it's always been a good conference in baseball. Now, basketball is what it is, but supposedly that's what uh, uh, Keith Gill was hired to do, was fix basketball. So uh, we'll see there. But, but, you know, you know just as well as I do that football drives the train. I mean, this, this is the whole it, football is everything. It pays for everything. It gets the interest. It makes the money. And if you can't commit to putting a competitive football team on the field year in and year out, you're just not going to make it, especially after COVID. So here's here, here here's a question I have, and then I'll get into the point that I wanted to bring up talking about Monroe. We, we talked about four schools from the Southland potentially joining the WAC. <clears throat> The WAC doesn't have football anymore. Well, I think the idea is to bring those schools on so they can restart football. Okay. Because, you see, I'm looking at, at WAC's website, and, you know, California Baptist, Chicago State, Dixie State, Grand Canyon, New Mexico State, Seattle, Tarleton, UT Rio Grande Valley, and then Utah Valley. Dude, I, I never even knew like four of these schools existed. Right. <laughs> like, you know, Dixie State. State. Who, who the hell is Dixie State? Where are they? Uh, that, don't know. These were these were D two schools uh, as of a few years ago, and some of them just did recently did move ups to to the Division one level. Okay. So um, it's interesting. Look, this yeah. is not a. This is not a. I'm. I don't like Monroe, but I'm not trying to. I'm seriously not trying to insult him. That is more their speed if, when you look at a when you look at a budget standpoint. I mean, that's where they fit. Fifteen, twelve to fifteen million dollars is about what these people are, are making. Am I am I wrong on that? No, no, that's no you're absolutely right, right. right on the money. I think I think what what they're facing now. Um, you know, one thing that one thing that that has showed me with with the way conferences are moving is that it's finance financial issues. Um, sure, you have sure four or five schools. From the Southland, which is a very respectable Division One conference, especially for SCS football, when you've got four or five schools, one of which has won SCS national championships recently in Sam Houston State, and they're leaving, um, that's that's concerning for the conference. There's something wrong internally with the conference that would want them to leave. Um, and as far as Monroe goes, I you know, again. You cannot compete at a level of the rest of your peers if you're the only school with a budget that's half of what everybody else is. And especially when you have, I mean, it's not just the Sun Belt. Look, schools like Old Dominion, Charlotte, 
you know, schools in other conferences like Conference USA, like UTSA, their budgets aren't $15 million. It's a lot more than that. Right. They're passing Monroe up too. So, you know, I, I just, at this point, it's not, like you said, Josh, I'm not trying to offend anyone with Monroe. I'm not trying to insult anyone. You know, money talks. And if there's no money to speak of, how can you expect to maintain a level of competition at the level they're at now for their standards? I well, just don't see it. It's true, but it, it, not only does money talks, but at the same time, is money is merely a tool. It's a tool for your coaches to do their job. It is a tool to, uh, you know, get your players into a program where you can, you know, physically build them up and nurture them, feed them well, uh, make sure they're housed. Now they have to stipend that they're getting money uh, uh, each semester. I mean, some Which schools they still don't, don't have and money. Exactly. Right? Some schools still don't do that. So how the hell are you going to recruit those kinds of kids, the kids that you want, the kids that are going to go to class, work hard, represent your community well, uh, play hard for you, commit to your program. How are you going to get those type of people in your program if you can't offer them a high quality of life? It's yeah. the same thing as if I had a choice between two uh, Fortune 500 companies. One Fortune 500 company values quality of life. The other doesn't. They just give me an opportunity to get my feet wet in the corporate world. What do you think if I'm a high-ranked candidate or if I'm a, a quality candidate? Where the hell do you think I'm going to go? Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I'll be honest with you, Josh. We were we were there. We were in the same place 20 years ago as an athletic program. We were there. We were, in, we were there 13 years ago. Okay, 13 years ago. But the difference, the difference is that even being there 13 years ago or 15 or 20 years ago, you know, there was – Still a little bit more commitment than what Monroe is showing. We still had a fan base, even though they were sparse. We still had support. We still had a, just enough. We, we, we just just enough to get by. I don't think Monroe even has enough to get by. Um, and, and, and you know, one other thing we had back then was we had success in basketball at the time. Our best right. team was just going to Omaha. I was, I was getting ready to say that we was we, we had a fan base. Stage. Our fan base understood that winning was important because basketball showed that to them for years. So yeah. I think that that's why we were able. Now, look, you also have to remember that Northeastern won a national championship. People forget that. Yeah. Did you know that, Matt? I did not know that. The school formerly known as Northeastern won a national championship in 1987. Yep. In football? Yep. Yeah. That's correct, sir. Dan Humphreys was the quarterback. Interesting. You know, and so here we are in 2020, and they can't even get you know they can't get they more can't, hunters can't buy out of the woods man. than in the stands. That's right. It's so amazing. You know, it's an amazing stat. But before before we leave the topic of ULM, I have an article here from Adam Hunsucker out of the Monroe News Star, and it is possible replacements for Matt Viatar. They have Broderick Fobbs, who's currently the head coach at Grambling. You've got John Carr, who is the associate head coach at Troy currently. Jay Hobson, who was just fired from Southern Miss. Joe Sloan, who is the offensive coordinator at Louisiana Tech. Matt Kubik, who was the offensive coordinator at Southern Miss. Frank Selfo, who is the head coach at Southeastern. And then, you know, one, one of the funny ones that, that I just kind of chuckled at when I read. Buddy Stevens. 
for anybody who watches Last Chance U. Last Chance U. Yeah, yep. but Buddy Stevens is the head coach at East Mississippi Community College. Uh, he's won five national titles at East Mississippi. But, you know, one one name that I skipped over because I wanted to spend some time talking about it, Mark Hudspeth. Mark Hudspeth to ULM? I well, mean, that's too, that, that would be a match made in desperation hell. Now remember, remember, he interviewed for the job in 2009 or 2010 and didn't get it because of some extracurricular activities. So well, different president and different AD. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of a and good And more point extracurricular activities. Yeah. Well, here's <laughs> the thing about HUD. Here's the, we laugh about it, but you know, HUD might be the coach that ULM needs, especially their fan base, because what did he do when he got to UL? He brought excitement. He promoted. You know, he's a promoter, and we know that. The guy could sell ice to an Eskimo. He's a great salesman. Man, um, now that would be that would be so great. We'd have endless amounts of shade to throw. A ULM, a ULM hired a UL retread. Oh man, that would be fun. But 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 you know, again, he would actually be a good hire for them right now because their fan base is desolate. Man, they they just they've just pretty much given up. But here's the, here's he the someone, thing: as as much as HUD has been known to kind of revitalize. You know, a fan base, I think it's safe to say that even Hudspeth couldn't turn that thing around. We had building blocks here. They just were all spread out. Hud found the building blocks, put them together, and made something out of it. I don't think there's, I don't think that the remnants are there for ULM anymore. I agree. Maybe, maybe 12 years ago, coming off of, well, I guess Browning was what, nine years ago now? Eight or nine years ago. Right? No, he, was, he was there till 13. 13 was his last year, so about seven or eight years ago, yeah. So maybe you maybe you could have done something after that where ULM was able to win a game with us and they, they kind of had a little bit of fire somehow. I don't really know how they did that, but, man, I, I just don't see it, dude. It's been dormant since then. Even with a guy like Caleb, uh, what was what's Caleb's last name? There's a little quarterback there. Evan. Caleb Evans, too, was – Probably better than Colton Browning. I mean, really, I mean, that guy was unbelievable. He was at least as good. And they couldn't, I mean, what, did they go 6-6 six and six one year? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the ceiling for them. Even with Colton Browning, they went 7-5, 8-4. 8-4, I mean, that's, that's a good season for ULM. That's a great season for ULM. Yeah, but, eight, uh, eight, I just 8-4, I, I would venture to say, is definitely their ceiling. Well, I even... Even Hud, dude, I just don't see it. He's going to end up, you know, with a sheep or something and be bad for the papers. Well, look, they, they've got – they in 26 years of being an FBS, they've had one winning season. One winning season. That's it. So – And what, what was it, seven and five? Eight and four. Eight and four was Colton Brown's best year. So, so, so with that – with their one winning season, the difference is you go look over here, you know, we have facilities to recruit to. We have a fan base. We have stuff to do in Lafayette. You know, you compare. We're geo geographically, we're in a better spot, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, well I mean, they, you know, they've got good football up there now. They've got, you know, they've got some recruiting that they can get done up there. The problem is, is that 
it's, it's, it, you know, a lot of times what they'll do is they'll sell families. So for example, like my, my parents went here, so I want to go there, but then you show up and like you said, as far as commitment to success and commitment to winning, it's not there. You know, you don't have the commitment. You don't have a building block like you talked about here at UL where the goal, I mean, what is ULM's goal as a football program? You know what our goal is? And I could tell you the second, even when HUD was here, New Year's Six, that's our goal. Does ULM have a goal? What's their goal? Stay alive as a program? I don't even think that's their goal. Have a winning season? I mean, is that their, I don't know. I mean, you can't really, there's no goal up there. No. And there's nothing, they don't have anything to work towards. And I, I think that's a problem, you know? You know, yeah, I mean, Monroe is kind of the the New York Jets of of college football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, nobody wants know. to nobody wants to be involved. I mean, enough I mean, about let, those. Let's jerks. be honest. You said you said you, go ahead, Matt. I mean, let, let, let's be honest. Greg Williams ran an all out blitz on Sunday so that he could lose his job. <laughs> that is funny that he did that. I mean, but I was gonna say enough about Monroe. I mean, really, who cares? But you said New Year's Six, and people don't maybe realize that the Cajuns have an outside shot of going to the Peach Bowl. Here's the thing: now, if Tulsa beats Cincinnati in the AAC title game, the Cajuns beat Coastal. I think right there, the Cajuns have a resume to get the New Year's Six spot. If you tack on an Iowa State victory in the Big 12 title game, it's done. I, I'm, I think so. And, it, you know, it, it, has, there, to there, there, it has to be done. There, there's always, you know, there can be an argument made for both sides. I understand that. That's kind of the fun of what used to be the BCS. It was also frustrating about the BCS, but. You know, the argument was there to be made. This college football playoff is a complete and total farce. It is a it is the SEC, Big Ten, ACC Invitational. Others need not apply. Now, with the <laughs> Access Bowl, with the Access Bowl, it gives the G5 something to shoot for. And just the idea that we could be that team that secures that bowl game. I mean, Jerry, you and I went on this rant three, four years ago where we were saying words like, national championship that should be our goal and people would say what yeah right you're crazy blah effing blah well guess what the new year six is essentially the g5 national championship that can be i think that can be our stated goal you know i mean hell if we're trying to win a national championship and we fall in the new year six slot we had a pretty damn good season some i mean it's, it's historic for us it's historic for the sun belt so not only are we bringing the program up we're bringing the league up with us we're helping financially. We're, we're helping perception-wise. And, you know, when this realignment comes, when the TV contracts expire, the last thing or one of the last few things they're going to see is, well, Louisiana can win down there. Well, also, too, it's marketing for the university. And, and university, I mean, look, you know, Matt and I had this discussion yesterday, and we talked about it. And we'll talk a little bit more about it on the next segment with RCAF. But, um, you know, one thing it does is it markets the university for students. And also, look, you play in a big bowl game like that on national TV against a P5 where you have a chance to win, and you see that big, that big bowl letter, big bowl letters on the scoreboard says Louisiana on it, Raging yes, Cajun. Dude. That's right. 
come on, man. It's like we talk about with basketball making the tournament. You can't, there, there's no price you can put on that type of marketing and that type of publicity. Right. It's true. And, and you know, you know, Catherine works with a bunch of LSU people. And every time she brings up the football team, it's, oh, well, you know, uh, it's not a normal year. You know, uh, LSU would beat UL by three touchdowns. The stupid, same old crap out of refinery, though. You know, above that is that the branding is there. We have won the battle. Now we're taking it to the next level. The next level is national recognition of, of success. Not only just that we're here, but we're here to win and succeed. And, and we're here. Our enrollment numbers are going to go through the roof in the next couple of years, especially with Billy Stane. We're going to continue to win. Our enrollment numbers are going to go up. That's going to help the school. That's going to help the, the, the city of Lafayette. That's going to help Lafayette Parish. People are going to understand what winning at a high level, what it actually means, and the value that it actually brings to our lives. And this is what we've been saying this for years, but now it's going to, people are going to be able to see the, the after effects of it. And whether it be making the tournament or going to the Peach Bowl or just being in the discussion of the college football playoff, whatever. These things, they, the value that they bring cannot be overstated. And what's so exciting for an alum and a fan is that now that this community has gotten a taste of it, it's, they're not going to forget it. They're going to want it. They're going to demand for a, a, a commitment to athletics, demand for the coaches to be paid and taken care of so we can continue to win. And hopefully that infects every other program. Now, look, as long as Brian Maggard's here, I don't think we'll have an issue with that. But I'm just saying going forward, it's very promising for us because of everything that's happening this year, last year, next year. Absolutely. I think also, too, it, it's you, you got you to gotta strike while the iron's hot. You don't want to make the same mistake you made 30 years ago when we were not necessarily being ranked in the top 25, but competing with the big schools and going toe-to-toe with the Alabamas of the world and the Auburns of the world and beating the Cincinnati's, beating the Southern Misses on a regular basis. You well, know, Jerry, they, they didn't in doing back then, now it's time to strike while the iron's hot and have, and we ha- we're committed. I think we are committed. We are. But in 2014, we won the conference in every major sport. And what did we do with that? Nothing. Nothing. Now we have a boss who's driving the ship in the right direction. And they're going to promote and they're going to do everything they need to do to push our brain forward. And that is so exciting. You know, I don't want to crash Farmer's Party, but, you know, he really dropped the ball. But I will say this. He did say that we can accomplish all of our goals right here in the Sun Belt. So maybe he wasn't all that wrong. <laughs> Let me see. Oh, my God. Looking back on it, yeah, makes, it makes sense. But, um, yeah, yeah. All right, KJ Nation, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about Billy Napier deciding to stay at Louisiana. We'll also dive into men's basketball getting two wins last week and look at their schedule for this coming week and – We'll dive a little deeper into an RCAF conversation. Stay tuned right here on Radio Review.
Acadiana business owners. Are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. PSC Supply and Hardware, locally owned since 1987, is the official hardware store of the Rage and Review podcast. PSC is Louisiana's oldest dealer of Traeger grills and one of two platinum dealers in the state. PSC is your barbecue headquarters, carrying PK and Weber grills, Blackstone products, and the largest selection of barbecue seasonings in South Louisiana. Do you need propane? On sale every Saturday. What about pellets for your electric smokers? That's on sale every Saturday, too. Come see what Willie and the gang out at PSC Supply and Hardware, 1014 Albertson Parkway in Broussard, or call 337-837-2811. Check out their website, pscsupply.com. Award Master, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Award Master creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review trust Award Masters for all of their needs, and you will too. Award Masters is so much more than just an award shop. Give Award Masters a call today, 337-984-1414, or go to awardmaster.com. Award Master, the recognition and personalization experts. Region Review. Matt Miguez here, joined by Jerry Abair and Man About Town Josh Jagno. Guys, you know we, we we mentioned it. We've touched on it a couple times throughout this episode, and we'll dive into it a little deeper now. Uh, our fearless leader, Commander in Chief, the boss, whatever you want to call him, uh, Louisiana head football coach Billy Napier, has decided to stay at Louisiana after being a prime candidate for the South Carolina position that is now filled by former Oklahoma offensive coordinator Shane Beamer. And, you know, I have the letter that that Billy Napier wrote to the university pulled up, and I'm going to read it now. It says, you know, it's humbling to be considered a worthy candidate for any job opening, but it's also important to realize this is a direct reflection of our entire organization from top to bottom. 
Here at the University of Louisiana, we have a special group of people that take tremendous pride in their role. We have dynamic leadership and a unique pride and passion for the Raging Cajuns. We are excited to announce that we are moving forward at Louisiana. We look forward to the opportunities and challenges ahead, and we are thankful for the opportunity to represent this community and university. The culture is real. So, you know, re- reading that, obviously, a lot of people predict that there will be more jobs opening between now and next August. But seeing that now, to me at least, and, you know, you guys can offer your opinion as well on this, regardless of what job opens up, he's not going anywhere. Go ahead, well, at least I hope not. Um, I, I think as of right now, it looks like he's committed to staying unless some last-second job opens up that gives him a great opportunity. Um, I, I love the fact that he came out with that statement, not just because we get to keep him, but the South Carolina job, I've been saying it for over a year now. That was the one that scared me. Uh, he's from North Georgia. He knows that area well. He's coached at Clemson. He played at Furman. So geographically speaking, he knows – he kind of knows the ins and outs of that area on how to recruit. He knows the culture down there. He understands coaching in the SEC, uh, what the potentials are. And so he actually would have been a good fit at, at, at South Carolina. So I'm very <laughs> relieved like the rest of our fan base that he's staying. Um, but also too, I think there's a lot coming back next year. Uh, Matt, you and I discussed this off the record yesterday and, um, He's got a lot of talent coming back. Now, hopefully you have a bunch of seniors that you're going to have a few that are going to try to go take their chances in the pros, but then you've got a few that's coming back. Um, and so he's got a good team coming back in 2021. And uh, the first game, uh, we go to Austin to face the Texas Longhorns, most likely without, uh, without a Sam Ellinger and also a Tom Herman that might be on the hot seat. So, you're right for an upset. Then you go to Liberty next year and you're right for another big win against the team that's in the top 25 as well. So, you know, everything's looking on the up and up. And I think what he's doing is he's raising his stock to where next time around, because you know, there's going to be some more job openings after next season for a job that's bigger than South Carolina. So I think he's playing his cards, right? He's being very meticulous on how he's, uh, choosing whether or not or where he wants to go. But I'll say this, I'm very relieved because I thought that South Carolina job was the perfect fit for him. But uh, there's something special building up. There's something special brewing here for him to stay. So I'm just excited, and I'm, I'm like everybody else. It's time to move forward and see what Louisiana football can do, not just at the end of this year, but going into 2021 as well. Josh, what about you? I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about what could be later. But first, I'll say, I was dead wrong. I'm pleasantly surprised that he stayed. I'm shocked. I am totally floored that he didn't take that job if it was offered. And I'm happy to be able to say that today because as soon as the job opened, and you know, and there is well-substantiated rumors around the, the complex that Billy had two jobs in mind, and it was South Carolina and North Carolina State. Uh, I think... I've already made my case about South Carolina on a previous episode where at the end of the day, they've had a couple of winning seasons in their entire history. They are a perennial loser. I think the SEC East is on the way up. And I'm not saying that Billy doesn't have 
supreme confidence in his abilities. But at the same time, you know, I think Billy and his agent are very smart people. And I think if they look in the immediate future, and when I say immediate, I mean the next three years, it was going to be an uphill battle with South Carolina. I think he's got a, a ready-made winner in Louisiana. And maybe at the end of the day, that played a big part in his reason to stay. And look, we know that money is really not the driving force behind Billy Napier. We know that his legacy is important to him. We know that his family loves Lafayette. Those things play a factor. At the end of the day, it's a job, guys. It's a job just like you have and I have. It's, it, it's, there's more decision be, behind. There's, there's more detail in the decision-making behind just, oh, it's an SEC job. So, again, pleasantly surprised, but shocked. Um, now, as far as going forward, well, let's talk about how the decision was made. He interviewed on Saturday. We all know that. Uh, it seems like within hours of the interview, he pulled his, his, his own name out of the conversation. So, you know, any, we never really know what goes on with the agents and the, the AD negotiations and everything, but it seems like on the surface that Billy met, didn't love the terms, decided he's happy where he is. And I want I want to believe that, so it's easy for me to believe that. But that that says a lot about the confidence he has in, in the people in Lafayette and the program and his boss. And again, that's another one of those. Uh, it's 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 something that people really don't think about immediately when they think about coaching changes. But the person that you report to, your AD Brian Magger, is a is a supreme leader. He is a a quality human being. He gives Billy. Everything he asked for, really, when it comes to resources, and he tries to support him in every in every way possible. So that's a, that's hard to leave. It's hard to leave a good boss, and I think maybe it wasn't exactly the fit that he wanted, and he stayed because of it. And then looking forward, let's just say that the Cajuns get to the Peach Bowl. Let's just say the Cajuns win the Peach Bowl. Let's just say we have a team that comes back in twenty twenty one. Let's just say we go on the road and beat Texas. You go on the road and beat Texas after winning the Peach Bowl, you you have officially arrived. You know, you can't arrive because of one win. You, Coastal didn't arrive on the scene because they beat BYU. Now, it's a huge step in the process. But building block after building block, you win these big games and people know who you are and they're interested in your program, okay? Let's just say 2021 finishes and we start doing TV contracts in 22. Let's just say Louisiana gets into the AAC, maybe even higher. Why wouldn't Billy Napier stay at Louisiana? Now, I know all this is pie in the sky, but you know what else was pie in the sky three years ago? Uh, a New Year's Six bird. being top 25. Correct. And look where we are today. So we got a long way to go. We have a long, uh, and it's an uphill climb, don't get me wrong, we have a lot of obstacles to overcome. But maybe Billy Napier understands that there's more potential here than maybe a lot of, a lot of people uh, a steal right now. Maybe maybe that glass ceiling is still there for some, and maybe it's not there for Billy Nathan. Yeah. I think, look, uh, go ahead, Matt, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was, I was actually going to transition. Well, I think I think right now also, too, Billy wants to win a national championship. Um, you know, he's, he's coached, he's won national titles as an assistant at Alabama. He coached he didn't win a national title at Clemson, but he understands the culture well, there. No, his, 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 his stay at Clemson was very short-lived. It was, but he's also part of a culture that started 
you know, a culture to win national titles at Clemson as well. So he's been part of two cultures that are championship caliber cultures. And so he knows what it takes to win the national title. And I think he, I think he wants the job that'll give him that opportunity. Um, I believe that eventually, look, you know, we joke, you know, you're talking about how, um, Josh, your better half deals with people at work who are, uh, LSU fans who talk about, Oh, it's a COVID year and everything. Look, man, everybody's going through COVID, not just that's them. right. That's a, that's a cop out for their failures this year. Period. If those so fans got were 10 and 0 and about to win a national championship, they'd say, all oh, suck it up, get over it. We're all dealing with it. But because no. they suck, it's COVID. <laughs> it's a cop out. And so, and look, you go on their message boards right now. Guess whose name's floating around their message boards? You know, you know, we're little brother, right? We're ooh la 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 la. We're little brother. We're we're irrelevant. Guess whose name's floating around right now on their message boards? Yeah, Billy Napier. Now, Billy why Napier is, would never take that job. Now, why is that? So, with I'll say this: it's not necessarily that they're throwing his name out. It's a compliment of what he's accomplished here. Yes. Because if we're ooh la la and we're little brother and we're this and that, why would they want our football coach? So that to me, I look at it differently. I look at that as a compliment. I looked at that as a compliment of our success. And there's some of their fans that have said, look, they, the other night against Alabama, I'm going on their message boards and one of them goes, how would we do against, against the Cajuns? And one of the fans goes, oh, we beat them by 30 points. There were a lot of other fans that were responding to him going, are you nuts? With what defense? How would we compete with that team? How would we? They, their fans actually think, some of their fans actually believe we could beat them right now. I mean, that, that's when you know you did a look at a school like that. When your fans are talking about taking our coach because they could beat us right now. So I take that as a compliment of everything we talked about and everything we've discussed as far as Billy staying here and the ups and ups of what we have, look, just last year, it was a long shot to be ranked in the top 25, and we're number 17 in the nation right now. 17! Highest ranking in school history. So, now, I'm not, and I, I'm not going to try to come off as spoiled, but you know what? Let's go beyond that. Okay, now we've got to the top, now we're in the top 25. What can we accomplish beyond that? Well, that's what, it what is. is our... What, what, what more can we do? What, what more can we do and strike while the iron's hot? No doubt. So, go beat Texas. And, and go I beat think, Liberty. Get a top 50 recruiting class. Hey, look, and, and, and Jerry, I agree with what you said. Billy's ultimate goal, goal is the ultimate goal. He wants to win a national championship. And look, it's not lost on me. I know that Billy Napier is the hot girl and we're the dork in homeroom. And we somehow got to got him to date us at a band camp. Oh, yes. But but listen, you have to understand this. You know, we just hit puberty, okay? We just hit puberty, and we we're, we're working out. We're working out. We're starting to get a little hair under our chin. We, we got a new hairstylist. You know, we, we're going clothes shopping next weekend. We're getting better. We're getting better, man. We, you know, we're, we're stepping our game up to try to keep our hot girlfriend. I understand the entire dynamic of it all. My point is only this: Billy has his goals, and, but they also have to line up with the other four spokes of his life. He, he doesn't want, I, he would never take the Baton Rouge job. Why would a guy like that with a starting reputation, a family man, a man of faith, go coach football in Baton Rouge where they cover up sexual allegations and they steal from old ladies and they 
you know, all the FBI investigations, I wouldn't, I don't care what they pay me. I would never be involved with that mess. And I'm Actually, actually doing no, it either. Correction. Not, not old ladies, but uh, hospitals, children's hospitals. Correct. 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 Children's hospitals. Which uh, I mean, I don't know how you can get much worse than that, but yeah, that, that's pretty uh, bad. That's them. That's what they do. But, uh, it, but what I'm saying is, is that if we continue to, to provide the platform where he can check his box, his career boxes, right? And I think that he's doing that, and he's, he's, he's still learning to coach, and he's still learning the whole deal. As long as we continue to give him the, the opportunity to check boxes, I don't see why he won't stay longer. Now, if we stop working out and we don't change our wardrobe and we change back to the old hairstylist and we have pimples all over our face because we eat pizza all the time, well, he's going to leave right away. He's going to go find yeah. somebody, or she's going to leave, you know, the, the hypothetical girl. She'll be out the door. <laughs> She'll be out the door. So we got to continue to keep our in-game so we can keep our, our hot girlfriend. But, you know, I, I, I'm not stupid, man. I know that it's, it is an uphill climb to accomplish these goals that we're talking about and then get to a new conference and then continue to win successfully, you know, continue to be successful across the board in a new conference. That's what it's going to take to keep a guy like a Billy. However, if we continue to, to do these things to keep a guy like Billy, how much more attractive are we for the next suitor? You know, and that's really it. We've got to find a way to continue to stay relevant. And that is the next frontier for Louisiana football. I agree. Yeah, I agree. You got to build on it. You build on it, and, and what 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 do you do next? You know, you build on it, right? And you know, Good one, point. one one thing I want to mention before we leave football altogether: um, inside linebackers coach Austin Armstrong has been hired by Will Hall at Southern Miss to be the Golden Eagles' new defensive coordinator. Um, in my opinion, one of the best young assistants we had on the staff. Uh, he will finish out this season with Louisiana before going to Hattiesburg. But, you know, while we were on the topic of coaching changes and whatnot, just wanted to send out a huge congratulations to, to Austin. That's a huge accomplishment for him. And obviously, Cajun Nation wishes him nothing but the best. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's good, and uh, he's got a great reputation in the building. And all the coaches, the entire staff, very high praise for Austin. And uh, I don't know if he's going to stay with us for the bowl game, but I know for sure he's going to stay through the Sunbelt Championship. But uh, just to comment on Will Hall, you know, ex-Cajun coach, uh, Will Hall, I thought, was uh, Coach uh, Hudspeth's best hire. Yep. And, of course, it didn't materialize because he got fired. But uh, Will Hall has a, a – every any, anybody you talk to, Will, Will Hall's a good person, a good coach. He deserves a shot. Uh, Southern Miss has been basically a dumpster fire for the last few years, so I hope that he gets the support he needs so he can turn that thing around. But I think Will Hall will win at South or uh, Southern Miss. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I 100% agree. Um, you know, I, I I was one of the guys in 2018 when Billy came in that I was advocating for Billy to keep Will Hall as offensive Same. coordinator. Yeah, me too. Um so yeah, definitely, definitely a great hire for Southern Miss to lead their football program starting in twenty twenty one. Guys, transitioning from the gridiron to the hardwood, men's basketball gets two wins last week, um, albeit they weren't great wins. 
struggled in both of them against teams you probably shouldn't have struggled against. You win by three at UNO, and then you win by 11 at home against LSUS. But, you know, one thing that I really want to touch on before we, while, while we're on the subject of basketball, is the performance of Theo Akuba in those three games. I mean, he's averaging 18.3 points and 11.3 rebounds per game to go along with 2.3 blocks. And he is shooting 88% from the field. And he did that against the number one team in the country. Yeah. 22 points, right? He had 22 against Baylor, yeah. Uh, yeah. What can you say? I mean, that's a hell of a performance. The guy is obviously the real deal. I mean, yeah, he, he's he, legit. He, he reminds um, me. He reminds me so much of Sean Long. And well, then, I think oh, look, this, this, I think he's going to be great. I think as time goes on, he's even going to get better. Um, he adds. He adds a lot of, a lot of stock to the mix. He, he's done a great. He's, he's done a fantastic job, especially for a newcomer coming in. He's pretty much, pretty much kind of picked up from where he left off beforehand, and he's yeah, fantastic start for him. And then of course, you know, Malik Wilson. Averaging 14.3 points, 6.3 rebounds, almost four assists a game. You know, he was he was put in the conversation for the Lou Henson Award, which goes to the top mid-major player in Division One. Uh, wow. Know, there, there's 50, 50 guys on the on the preseason watch list, and Malik was named one of the 50. So definitely a huge honor there for the sophomore out of Ravel. You know, we've said it time and time again on this on this show, but it's it's still not materializing quite yet. On paper, this team looks poised for an NCAA tournament run. But, yeah, but but when you, when you only beat when you only beat UNO by 3 and then you only beat LSUS by 11, you kind of start scratching a little bit. It's like we said in the update pod, man. It all looks nice, but you got to do it on the floor. And we sustained another injury. Yep. A backup point guard goes down. Yep. Down for the year. You know, what do you say? But granted, Trajan hasn't played at all yet this year. He sure, was, he but was at the same time, the season. What did they tell us last year? Well, you know, we don't have a backup point guard because Wesley's out, so we use uh, Russell as a combo guard and whatever. Now I know Devin Butts. Is, you got Devin Butts now, and he you got, he's played you some got, solid minutes. You got Bray and Ayu as well. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Devin Butts has played some solid minutes, and that's you know so. Not surprising, but I'm glad to see it because I didn't know what we were going to get out of him. Again, on paper, looks good, but really that means nothing until the games are played and the lights come on. Uh, so, I mean, again, but the point is, is that we're still we're shorthanded by what four guys, five guys now. Yeah, something like that. At least until so conference. It's, it's hard to play college basketball with seven players. Yeah. Well, my my question is, I mean, how? how much longer can we run with the injury bug? And I don't like to say excuse because I know it offends people, but this is year number four or year number three. Yeah, no, this year number four where we've had injury bugs. We went, oh, when did it stop? 
we're working on year number five of 11 of injuries mm-hmm. being the, the cause and the blame. Okay? It is what it is. It's unfortunate. Don't get me wrong. I'm not blaming anybody for anything. We've already covered that. But, I mean, dude, you're talking about half of the seasons where it's an injury problem. Is that, is that normal throughout the, the country? Is that mostly what, what other college basketball programs are dealing with? I, I got to get some kind of context here. I'll tell you right now, no. I mean, do, do you see Bill Self talking about, you know, how they've lost three guys for the year? Do you see Calipari talking about how they've lost three guys for the year? No, I mean, it, this doesn't happen. You know, look look at look at Monroe. You know, we'll, we'll put it in perspective with the Sun Belt. Look at Mon- does does Monroe have this injury issue? Does three and O Coastal Carolina have this injury issue? I just I'll, I'll tell you right now, man. If Coastal Carolina baseball has a has a good year this year, they might find their way out of the Sun Belt. Well, I think I think the issue comes when you know we drop games, even if we have one or two guys out. We drop games to other coastal, I mean coastal, <laughs> other other conference opponents that have, like for example, last year that had the same issues. Little Rock came to the Cajun Dome. We're up 16 in the second half. We lose the game, and everybody's talking about injuries, but yet nobody brings up the fact that they had two starters that were out as well. The year oh, before that, 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 that happened with that. Tech. That happened with Tech, and it also well, happened with with uh, South Alabama. Well, that's what I was going to say. That player in the Central Conference was out when we played, and nobody talked about that, which is about us. Well, that's what I was going to say. Two years ago, we lose to Tech by, like, what, 20-something points? 20-something, yeah. And, yeah, we had, uh, I think Marchetti, Marchetti got hurt that game, I believe, was out, like, halfway through the game, but then they had, what, three starters that were out, and they beat us by 18 or 20 or whatever. So, I mean, I understand we have injury bugs, but we play teams without starters, too, and they seem to be able to beat us. I don't care how many guys you have out the other day. You're playing an NAIA school and you're trailing at halftime against an NAIA school? Hey, and how about this? A kid that you recruited and then cut loose dropped 24 on you. So, Kadavian Evans is who I'm talking about. Well, but my thing is, you'll have people that, you know, will say, well, it's a win. But 95% of the fan base, I guarantee you, didn't even know we had a game the other day. And when they see, I, I and then when they the, find the, out. I found out that find, day. Well, when we find out we did have a game and you see us trailing by this team at halftime, it just solidifies the overall perspective of everything. Well, the game was in doubt until about six minutes left, seven minutes left. Yeah. That's that's I mean look that's concerning. And Bob gets on the interview after the game and says how good the team is and blah blah blah. And I know some of that is coach speak. I do, but some of it is. And then he goes into the injuries and yada yada. Some of it is he's he's defending the performance. Okay, and like we said already, I understand that there's new players. We're still gelling, and yes, we did win the game. But number one. Who the hell is paying attention to an LSU Shreveport and an LSU Alexandria game? Okay, you want me to get excited about your program, but that's the best you can do? I guess that's just short notice it's a reschedule. I'm not 100% sure how that – did we lose some games and we had to hurry up and fill a yeah, spot? Yeah, it, it was. It was. 
So LSU Shreveport and LSU Alexandria is the best we could do there? Yeah. So that, that to me, is a, a problem. It goes back to what I said last year, man. It's all about relationships. It's all about being able to make a call to, shit, even McNeese. Hey, you guys want to fill the slot? I mean, no, we're playing LSU Alexandria. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to be fair. I am. I, I, I don't want to trash the basketball program. Well, it's at not about some trash. point, at some point, you got to give me something. It's not about trashing the program as much as it is about the simple fact that you're trying to get the fans back, and you're yeah. doing everything you can to maintain your fan base outside of the Rebounders Club and maybe a few others who just like basketball. You're trying to get your fans back, and you're not going to get them back by struggling against NAIA competition. You're not. It, 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 no matter what you have, no matter what you say, and, and it's just, I don't know. I, 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 unless something turns around, unless something gets better, I mean, look, the win against UNO the other night, I'm on the message boards, and look, I mean, it, yeah, they won the game, but that UNO team might finish middle of their conference. They were their RPI was like three thirty six or something. Ridiculous. Oh, but it's Jerry. It's a rivalry. It's a rivalry. That's what they'll say. But and I know Baylor is a bad uh, a bad example because they're a great team. But Baylor shot the lights out from three. LSU Shreveport shot the lights out from three. UNO shot the lights out from three. We have been a poor, with the exception of twenty seventeen, we have been a poor perimeter defending team as long as Bob Marlin has been the coach at, the, at Louisiana. And it has not changed, and it never changes. And the man came in saying that he was a defensive, a defensive coach. Now, how the hell did those two things go together? When we, every time we go on the road and get our freaking brains kicked in, it seems like the team we play is shooting 70% from the three. How, how do you not figure out, look, we got to get our hand up? I mean, so, somebody, look, in the Baylor, the Baylor game, they made some shots. But a lot of those shots were wide open looks. Slow in transition, slow to the, the, the perimeter, no hands up, overrunning the shooters. Happens all the time. This is this is a four different, fully completely different teams that Bob Marlin has had. Same issues still persist. Well, again, it, it goes beyond the performance, but it goes beyond the fact that I mean, I guarantee you, a good number of our fans don't even know we have a game like tonight. We play LSU Alexandria. Well, yeah, that's why I brought it up. Well, there's a good number of fans that probably don't even know we have a game tonight until we just mentioned it. You know, like I just mentioned it three seconds ago. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Um, there's too much apathy right now. And um, I, I hope I, – and look, I, I mean, I'm going to watch the game. I, I might – I can't go, but I'm going to watch the game. And then I hope that the team – look, they need a dominant performance tonight. They need to win this game convincingly. And, and, and we need to see – a lot of improvement from what we saw. You cannot justify a performance that we played against LSU Shreveport on, on Saturday. You just can't. It's an NIA, we played an NAIA school, for crying out loud. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, year in and year out, we do this NIA, NAIA thing, and I'm supposed to get excited about it, but at the end of the day, uh, what are you really doing? It's, a, it's, a, it's practice. It's simulated practice. It's I want to see you guys go out and make shots, play defense. I want to see some building blocks. Give me something. Give me something to get excited about. I want to be – I am, at, the, at my very core, a, a Cajuns basketball fan. It was the very first sport that I fell in love with at the school. 
we we are so far removed from that, man. We are a shell of what we used to be, and people get sick of being in the middle. And I, I'm just asking for something to get excited about. That's, that's all. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the majority of the fans. Um, I mean, it's not anything to bash. It's just it's the truth. I would love nothing more than to go to the Cajun Dome tonight, get me a dome foam, and watch a good ball, ball club play basketball. I, I mean, I, I cherish those nights for years and years and years. And then it's just can't do it anymore. Well, the other day, you know, the game against uh, LSU Shreveport, I think the attendance was like 210 people. Holy crap. And the COVID numbers, I think you're allowed to have up to 2,500. Well, that's already below the numbers we were bringing in last year. So thinking that we could maximize the attendance to have 210 people show up, I mean. Well, once again, I didn't see a lot of promotion for the game. Did you? No, God, no. No, no I, I, I found out about it the day of. I mean, no. would you? Would, would, this really goes to the heart of the problem. Would you promote that? I mean, you, you have to. I mean, you have I no mean, choice. You, 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 have, you to. have a choice. In years past, okay, when they thought that they were good, they promoted the shit out of the basketball program. Best team we've ever had. Three days in March. All the time. I don't ever see anything. I don't even have it on my Twitter feed. I don't, I, I don't see it anywhere. Nobody's talking about it on the radio. Nobody's talking about it in local news. And look, football takes the lion's share of the attention this time of year. I understand that. You know, most people don't give a shit about basketball until, I guess, late December, early January. I get all that. But, I mean, you're talking about your local fan base. You got 200 people? You can't draw flies to a basketball game. Yeah, 200. I mean, that's, that's bad. 200 people is, is really bad. At the same time, Jerry, who wants to watch you play LSU Shreveport, dude? Well, even, even in the back in the day, whenever we would face team like that, we'd have, even for the lowest of lows, we would bring in 25, 1,500 people. Now we bring in like 25, 26, 100. Yeah. Now we can't, I mean, we, we're barely bringing in 200. I mean, that's... What? Was that a Friday, Saturday? It was a Saturday game, matinee. So we drew 200 people on a Saturday night? Uh, it was like 4 o'clock tip-off, I believe, or 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon. That's, that's, that's atrocious. That's super bad. That's atrocious. Yeah, it, it's it's not good for sure. Um, you know, but before we'll, we'll move on to our last topic, but before we wrap this show up, Jerry, you wanted to touch on RCAF. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I wanted to touch up on it, but I wanted to dedicate um, this episode to a close friend of mine who, a uh, big time Cajuns fan, uh, Randy Sharpenshay, passed away. Uh, the day before Thanksgiving, suddenly. And, um, you know, Cajun Nation lost a diehard. Um, he was part of the Diamond Club. He was part of the Raging Cajuns Cooking Club for, for baseball. He uh, was a member of RCAF. He went to the football games, went to the basketball games, wore Cajun gear every time you saw him. Uh, he actually, his proudest moment, uh, he designed, he, uh, he, he was in graphic design. He designed the baseball field. He designed the football field, I believe. Um, and he was just very big into the community and just overall a, a diehard Cajuns fan. You would always see him in Legends for, for Cajuns games. He and his friends would go. And uh, Randy was a great guy. I remember 
I met him when I was 15. Uh, they sat in section C uh, at the Teague before the renovations years ago. And I would go sit with him in the group of group of people and group of friends that I now have the privilege of calling my good friends. And uh, they would always take turns grabbing beer. And of course I was too young to drink and I was still a teenager, but they treated me, those, that group, including Randy, treated me like one of them. And um, I'll always cherish that. And many years later, I'm, I'm blessed to say that they're all my good friends. And I go by the cooking club and see them all. And we hang out for games. And, um, you know, our friendships have grown since then. And we're all still pretty devastated by the loss of, of Randy. And I just want to say to Randy, our, you know, our thoughts and prayers and, are with Randy and the Sharp and Chase family. And uh, they laid up rest last week. But uh, instead of flowers, um, the family and, and the friend, his friends have asked to donate to RCAF in memory of, of Randy Sharpenshade. So if you want to donate to RCAF, um, you can donate in, in his memory and his family will get a notification and his friends will get a notification. And um, so, Randy, we're going we're gonna to miss you. Uh, we love you and fly high um, and, and rest in peace, my friend. But... Uh, this leads to the next segment of RCAF. And Josh, I wanted to get your opinion. Matt, I wanted to get your opinion on this. It's safe to say that now is the time. Now is the time to donate. Um, you know, retaining Billy Napier was a huge victory for, for, for this program. And um, I know right now times are hard. Um, I pretty much have pledged to give more, especially to football this year, because with everything going on with COVID, uh, with schools losing money across the country, especially in athletics um, with the momentum we have right now, even in unprecedented times, I think it's safe to say that we definitely need to step up in any way that we can, even if it's not, even if we can't give what we gave last year and the year before we have to give something. And um, I'm going to up my donation before the end of the year. Um, I think it's time that we, we step up as a Cajun, as Cajun nation to show that we're committed to the success that this program has has had to step to, to step forward. I think it's important that I bring that up because of everything going on right now. This can't happen without the fans. And so, uh, if you've never given RCAF, um, you can actually give a minimum of I don't even know. It's like what fifty bucks or less. Um, you can get. They have a. They've set up a, a recurring deal where it's five bucks a month. So what is yeah. it? Sixty bucks a year. Sixty bucks, bucks a year. Five bucks a month. I mean, what's that? That's not much at all. Um, you know? And we should also point out that uh, I'm not sure what the platform is or what the vehicle actually is, but uh, I think it's called Go Forward, right? Is it Go? For, is it a Go, go Forward? Go so forward, go, go Forward is it is uh, it is a vehicle and an avenue for anybody out there to give whatever amount of money they want to specific campaigns. For example, if you're into Cajuns tennis and you want to sponsor uh, something at the tennis court. You can give directly to that cost. If you want to retain Billy Napier for 10 more years and you want to give $2 million a year, you go to that go forward campaign. You can uh, anything. If you want to provide polo shirts to the baseball players, if you want to uh, any, 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 anything, I mean, you could probably make up a campaign to give to that'll help any program. Use that go forward. uh, 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 What is the platform Matt? Do you know? I have no idea. Let me see. I'm a, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Look it up while we're talking about it. I don't know if it's just a website or it, it sounds like there's some sort of third party vehicle, yeah. uh, whether, whether it be GoFundMe or whatever, but they've set it up to where 
anybody out there, no matter what they're interested in, can give. 50 cents, $50,000, it doesn't matter. Whatever you guys can afford. Um, I have set up uh, specific little giving situations where, you know, we all care about something different. You know, I remember one time in the, uh, this was in the Alden Report, where the Alden Report said UL had one of the most unique fan bases in the country because every single sport had a completely different fan base. Lots of times football play, uh, football fans weren't really basketball fans or basketball fans weren't necessarily softball fans or it wasn't one fan base, one alumni um, group that, that supported all across the board. It was everybody has their own segment of fans. So this is, it kind of addresses that need and it's very important because how many times have you heard, well, I want to know where my money's going to. I want to know that I'm giving directly to uh, you know, the football equipment guy, that's what I, that's what I'm passionate about. So I, I think that that is a, a, a very, um, uh, it's an insightful move by our administration. And I think that it's going to pay dividends, but we definitely need to get the word out because I don't know how many people are aware of that. Yeah. It's, it's called go forward. Um, and it is, like you said, it is, it's a crowdfunding campaign for okay. UL, a couple of them. Uh, mechanical engineering robotics fund. Um, yeah, it's not just athletics. It, right. it, it goes through academia. It could be anything. It could be campus improvement. It can be anything. Um, what is it? Is it goforward.com? Is it just the website you go to? It is give.louisiana.edu slash goforward. Give.louisiana.edu slash goforward. And that's go G E A U X forward. Correct. And yeah, that's a very one, important one of them, that's a very important campaign. One of them, the volleyball program, is in need of new uniforms. You can give money towards the volleyball program getting new uniforms. Yeah, it's specifically it's that specific, you know, and I think that's going to really help to facilitate the relationships between our supporters and the sports that they care about. And it also gives you a little more peace of mind that when you give to volleyball, you're giving to volleyball specifically. It's almost as if you're taking cash and handing it in the hands of the volleyball players. Right. So, uh, you know, I value that, and I know a lot of other people do. Yeah, you know, like, like we talked about, this is definitely the, the time to give no matter where, where you want your money to be. Um, obviously, you know, football is having an immense amount of success right now, but – you know, if you're if you're a former men's basketball player or, you know, softball player and you want your money to be going to that specific cause, I mean, that can easily be done. So I think I think this is this is as good of a time as any to put your money where you want it to be. And, you know, if like like we said, it can only improve with the help of the fan base. And we need it. The, this COVID has ravaged our, our program. It's ravaged our own personal lives. We've got to get creative. And, you know, there's a saying that people make time for the things that they really want. And, you know, we have to understand that as a fan base and as alumni. We, we value our place uh, in the community. You know, UL is such a big economic driver. It's so important to our community. And athletics is the front porch. We all know that. I mean, it's paying dividends. It's happening right in front of our eyes. We got to continue to stay healthy and viable. And the way we do that is 
from our private our private donors and our supporters uh, around the community. So, you know, we, we I know everybody's tightening the belt and the pockets are getting a little lighter. Understand all that. Uh, so, you know, nobody's saying there's an obligation there, but if you can and you're willing, uh, there's there are definitely tools and avenues to make that happen. You know, we've got one of the best and brightest young coaches in the country. We got to try to find a way to keep them. You know, we we've got an up and coming baseball program. Uh, baseball has all the history in the world. Don't get me wrong, but I think that we we kind of bottomed out and we're bouncing on the way back. And we're going to need finances to continue to do that. When you know Matt Matt Deggs is who he is, we all know and love Matt. So we want to support him and his guys. Um, you know, basketball obviously needs to continue to improve. So takes finances to do that. But uh, everybody's passionate about something different, and and that's okay. We need – it takes a village, right? So uh, RCAF is important now more than ever. General fund, uh, all of it, all of it. You know, but just find the place where you want to see uh, the most improvement or you get the most enjoyment and, uh, you know, maybe help out those people that are in need this year. Yeah, no, no question about it. Guys, Josh, Jerry, thank you so much for joining me. As always, Cajun Nation, we appreciate you guys tuning in as you always do. As always, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hell, we even have a Snapchat now. I mean, wherever you want to find Rage and Review, we're there. Uh, you can email us, as always, review at gmail.com. Head to RageAndReviewPod.com. Check out the work that we've done with the new website. You know, just plenty plenty of things to, to look forward to. And we will be back later this week to break down or to preview the biggest game in school history from a football standpoint. Biggest game in Sunbelt history and school history. Between the Cajuns and the Chanticleers for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. All right, Josh, Jerry, anything else before we get out of here? No, I think we, I think we set a mouthful. No, I'm good. Uh, I think Matt mentioned a little giveaway on the gram, so check out Raging Review on the gram. Might see some, some things that might uh, end up in your home. So other than that, I would just say I'm excited as I could be about our football program. It feels nice to be in the conversation nationally. You know, wish it would never end. This is fun. Yeah, yeah actually, you know what? Now that you mention it, I'll add to it. You know, 20 years ago, you know, we talk about everybody likes to say how far we've come. But, man, I remember uh, 20 years ago in the rain, uh, senior day in the year 2000, we're sitting with a one in eight record with, uh, yeah, Jacksonville State crowd of about 4,000 fans and they ran us out of our own stadium by, by two touchdowns. And, um, at the time we had a budget of maybe barely $10 million, uh, no indoor facility, nothing to recruit to. And look at us 20 years later. It, it just, all it takes is a little bit of commitment from the administration. Um, it takes a little bit of commitment as far as financials from the fans. So, I, uh, I got to give credit to Dr. Savoy. I got to give credit to Dr. Maggard and their commitment to, to uh, moving this program forward. I do think moving forward, it's time to build on it, whether it's getting enrollment up to bring in more revenues, whether it's the fans stepping up to give more money. Um, we, look, the train's rolling. The plane, the plane has taken off. Uh, we're in the air now. Now it's time to go into cruising speed and, and put, put this thing on autopilot. So um, just proud of this uh, – proud of this, 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 this program and proud of the coaching staff and the administration and pushing this thing forward. And look, Cajun Nation, let's do it together. You know, one thing we pride ourselves on in the Cajun culture is community and family. 
and we are a big family. So let's just keep the culture going and, and let's uh, let's enjoy the ride and uh, build on it. Always. Hell yeah. Cajun Nation, we appreciate you. And like we said, we will be back later this week to preview the big matchup with Coastal Carolina. Be safe, be well, wear a damn mask, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Tell them, Moe.